0: have an exciting message that I want to share with y'all before we get into the food stalls after the service, because I know that's what you're really excited about. And I'm excited about all of the food stalls as well, because there are a number of delicious international dishes from around the world. And Frosty and I are not the greatest cooks. Like, Let's be real. We're not the greatest cooks. And so when other people cook food, we will happily pay for it. And we're going to go get some food, feed ourselves. But we're not the greatest cooks. Recently, thanks to Melissa, I'm trying out HelloFresh boxes. And it's actually working right now. I've chopped up more garlic in my life with these HelloFresh boxes. But I'm learning how to do it. And there's some times when I'll let Frosty cook. But Frosty often does this thing that can be very frustrating for me because he often leaves out a particular ingredient that I think the dish always needs. But Frosty, he likes to eat to not be hungry, right? That's, that's the only reason he eats is just to not be hungry. But I like to enjoy the enhanced flavors that this ingredient can bring. And so one of my most common frustrations is when he brings me those potato wedges out of the oven or some hot chips and there's no salt on them. It's a crime, right? There's no salt on them. Y'all, that potato is so bland if there's not some salt on it to enhance the flavor. And so often I'll look at him and I'll be like, babe, it needs salt. And he doesn't want to get up and get it. So every single time I have to get up and get the salt. Did you know, though? Did you know? That salt has this amazing ability to intensify agreeable tastes and also to diminish disagreeable ones. So I pulled out some science, Frosty. Um, Listen up. Some flavor compounds are too subtle to detect, but when you add even just a teeny amount of salt, neurological magic happens. Suddenly our taste receptors can detect flavors they weren't able to sense before pretty cool and then it says so when you add salt to roasted squash the squash doesn't merely become salty rather the myriad complex of flavors of the vegetable come to the fore add a bit of salt to bread dough and likewise the bread doesn't necessarily taste salty it just tastes the way bread should and the salt in recipes for cakes and cookies and those other things isn't there to make these treats salty it's there to ensure that they taste good salt makes it all taste so much better and so I've got a message for y'all today called, It Needs Salt. Say, It Needs Salt. It needs salt. Say, Frosty. It Needs Salt. So I want to jump into a passage of scripture in the book of 2 Kings. It should be in your notes. It's going to be up on the screen as well. It's in 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 19 to 22. It says, the people of the city said to Elisha, Look, our Lord, this town, it's well situated, as you can see, but the water is bad, and the land is unproductive. Bring me a new bowl, he said, and put some salt in it. So they brought it to him, and then he went out to the spring, and he threw the salt into it, saying, This is what the Lord says. I have healed this water. Never again will it cause death or make the land unproductive. And the water has remained pure to this day, according to the word Elisha had spoken. Now, what you need to know is Elisha was a prophet, and that means he was an individual chosen by God to speak to the people about what God was saying in that moment. Prophets were incredible teachers of the word, and they would guide kings and kingdoms by bringing them words in season for what God was saying. But people didn't always like the prophets. They didn't always like what they had to say because most often you would read throughout the minor prophets, read in the Old Testament, The general gist of what the prophets was saying is, hey, y'all messed up, and you need to get right with God, okay? So they weren't always the most favored people. And so Elisha, as well, was mentored by a guy named Elijah. And he had actually just witnessed, right before this moment, he had witnessed his mentor being taken up in a whirlwind of chariots of fire and horses. How cool is that? I mean, that's the most legit way to go. Like, if I could go that way with, like, a whirlwind of chariots of fire, I'm down. So he just witnessed that moment with Elijah being taken up that way, and he's walked back now into the city of Jericho. And so people are approaching him because they recognize that he holds the authority in the office of the prophet. So now you have context. Context is important, y'all. So let's really unpack what's being said here in this moment, because when I was reading this scripture... I knew that God wasn't just saying this to them then, but he's saying this to us now, right now in today's world. See, you might not know this, but there is incredible symbolism all throughout Scripture, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And oftentimes we read Scripture like we read a book and we just breeze past it but we actually have to dig in and say what does that actually mean is there some symbolic meaning here that I need to dig into deeper and so there's four things that I want us to talk about today four things I want you to underline in your notes and the first one is this underline this town this town, they're referring to Jericho. So we're going to talk about Jericho. Many of you have probably heard about Jericho because the most famous story about Jericho is when the army marched around the massive walls of Jericho uh, seven different times, and then the, the walls just fell by God's divine power, and the army was able to enter into the promise. That is the one, one of the most incredible stories that you can read in Scripture. And so Jericho has this rich history. And plus, it's also uh, beautifully surrounded. You know, the Jordan River is nearby. But the people of Jericho are really unhappy. And they've recognized that their water is bad, and it's making the land unproductive and unfruitful. So even the most fertile land can actually be influenced and affected by bad water. See, from the outside, a city might look grand, but you have no idea what corruption might lie within. On the outside of a house with the white picket fence, it might look beautiful, but you have no idea what's going on inside of that house. On, on the outside, somebody might be in a well-tailored suit with a smile, but you have no idea what's going on inside their heart. See, when I, when I think about Jericho in this moment in time, I think about the lyrics that I once heard this girl named Alex Stern singing her song. She said, we keep on keeping our messes behind white picket fences. This is a picture of Jericho right now. From the outside, it might look strong. It might look beautiful and incredible, but it's really hurting on the inside. And then there's the bad water, underlying bad water. Water throughout the Bible often represents life. But in this case, it's bad water. So it's actually representing the opposite, and it's bringing death. This is a corrupt current flowing through the city that is affecting everything you when the water is bad, society struggles. Society struggles because pollution and sickness and death prevail. There are often corrupt currents in society that can flow into every aspect of our lives. Think about it. We consume things every single day. And corrupt currents, bad water, can find its way into political systems, cities, schools, the media, everything that we consume. And bad water leads to unfruitfulness, meaning the land can't produce what it was actually created to produce. It's not living in the fullness of its purpose because it's now living in a life contaminated by the bad water running through it. And then I want you to underline new bowl. New bowl. God often refers to something new. He talks about the new wineskin, new creation, and right here, a new bowl. And Elisha is saying, look, don't bring me something that has been corrupted or tainted by traditions of the past. I need something new. This new bowl is actually representing the church. Speaking of the new covenant that Jesus is going to establish, the one we read about in the New Testament. And then what's inside of the bowl is salt, underlined salt. In Matthew 5, 13, I'm sure many of you have heard this passage before, but maybe you don't fully understand what it means. But it says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. See, the salt here in the new bowl represents the believers being poured out into the city. The the salt represents us. But what does Jesus mean when he's saying if the salt loses its saltiness, it becomes useless? What does that mean for us as believers? How can we understand that? Well, he's referring to believers that become so contaminated by the world, worldly culture, worldly influences, worldly solutions, so contaminated by the bad water running through our society, that they lose their flavor. They lose their saltiness. They lose their edge of truth and hope. They lose that. And so instead, they become foolish. Because I don't know if you know this, but when salt comes into contact with other minerals, it actually weakens its flavor and can make a bad taste. That's the actual ingredient. And so this is actually a very powerful metaphor for us as believers. We need to make sure that we are effective in our intended purpose. So so why is this important? Why did I feel like this is the message that we need to hear right now after we've just gone through our Church 1.0 series? Well, because I feel like Jericho represents largely the world we live in today. Things can look impressive from the outside, but what's really going on on the inside? Jericho can represent our country. Or in many countries, it could represent our cities, and there are corrupt currents of bad water that are flowing through many things that we haven't taken a moment to pause and recognize. See, there's actually idolatrous systems being set up all around the place. Now, maybe you you don't really know what that means. Idolatry simply means when you put something over God and you start to worship other gods or humans or wealth over God, you're elevating that to a position over God. And this is happening all around our world today. People are elevating what the world says over what God says. And then there's even this thing called humanism. Humanism is simply when humanity thinks that they have the ability and the right to define morality. They ha- think they have the ability and the right to define what is good and evil. Now, I won't get into this. This is a tangent. This is a whole other message, but you can't have morality without God. And so, all of this is going through our culture, and our culture is drinking up bad water on the daily. And so it's leading, it's leading us into this state of spiritual pollution. And so when I read this, I saw clearly that like, this new bowl, this new bowl is what the world needs. This new bowl, the church, is what the world needs. And the world needs believers to rise up in their saltiness. And to actually pour into this world for their intended purpose. Do you realize that this community of Papakuta, it needs some salt. Your school, it needs some salt. Your office and your company, it needs some salt. Let me tell you, your family needs some salt. If you're the only believer in your family, let me tell you, God placed you there so you could be the salt for the rest of your family. All of your communities, your neighborhood, everything, God has positioned you in places to purify and heal the waters around you. This city needs you. This city needs believers that are willing to rise up out of corrupted, contaminated, bad waters and bring what only salt can bring. Because you have an intended purpose. And think about salt. Like, think about the power of salt. When you have, say, a sore throat or an ulcer in your mouth, what are you told to gargle with? Salt water. Why? Because it brings healing. There's healing properties in salt. And as a believer in this city, you are called to bring healing. You are called to bring healing into every aspect of your world. Now, why do you think we started a ministry called Food Bank? It's because we knew that this community was hurting. And we knew that we could serve some of the physical needs before we start to talk to them about their spiritual needs. Because sometimes people get so clouded with their physical needs that they won't hear you if you want to talk to them on a spiritual level. And so in every single box that we've actually sent out into this community this year, there's been a letter in that box that tells them that they matter, that tells them that there is hope for them, that tells them they are welcome here and they're invited to come join us on a Sunday, that there's a community and a family ready to embrace them and help them on their journey. See, we started Food Bank so that we could bring healing into home after home after home. And our prayer is that every believer or every box go to an individual or a family, and it would draw them here so that one day they might become a believer. See, every box that goes out is kind of like a big block of salt. We're hoping to bring healing. Now, why do you think we have a ministry team stand down the front after the service and offer to stand and pray with people? Because we know that there is power when we stand together in prayer. And we know that we can bring healing out of a moment if somebody can just get an interaction with some salt. That ministry team is standing there like salt ready for you, salt ready for your wounds, that you can come and stand with them and you might experience healing in that moment. Church, we are called to bring healing to Papakura and all the surrounding suburbs. But it's going to take all of us to realize what is our intended purpose for when we were created. You know, you were placed in that school as a teacher for a reason. God placed you there to bring some salt into that world of education. You were placed in that office as an administrator for a reason. You were placed there to bring some salt into this season when some people might want to take shortcuts, but you could actually bring some salt and truth into that. You were placed on that project as a builder for a reason because God wants you to bring salt into that situation. See, this world needs you. But this world needs you to rise up as what you are intended to be. God wants to bring healing to people through you, but He also wants you wants to use you to inspire thirst. He wants to use you to inspire thirst. Touching all this salt is making me thirsty. You know what else salt does? It makes you thirsty. Salt makes you thirsty. You know they say that you can't make a horse drink, but you could give him a lick of a salt block which will inspire and urge him to walk to the water and drink. See, we are created as believers to be so salty that we are inspiring thirst in other believers and other people. Do you realize that this world is thirsty? This world is so thirsty. And thirsty has now created a negative connotation because people are misdirecting their thirst, right? Right? People are misdirecting their thirst to the bad waters that run rampant through their friend group, the bad waters that run rampant through their office culture, the bad waters that run through the music they listen to or the TV shows they, they binge, through the toxic culture they found themselves in. People are thirsty but we've got to help them direct their thirst to the only one who can truly satisfy. You know, even when Jesus was talking to the Samaritan woman at the well, he said, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. As salt spread throughout this city, you are called to inspire thirst Among the people around you, drawing them to Jesus in the hope that they might drink that everlasting water that only he can offer them. The only thing that can truly satisfy. Keys can join me now. Another thing that salt does, it's pretty incredible, but it purifies. And as believers in this city, you are called to champion purity. You're called to champion purity. Purity simply means freedom from adulteration, which is when something becomes poor in quality when other added substances come into the mix. Purity is freedom from contamination. Purity is freedom from immorality. When Elisha threw the salt into the spring, he said, these waters have been healed. Never again will it cause death or make the land unproductive, and the water remains pure to this day. See, the salt purified what society had contaminated. When the salt was thrown in, it purified the bad waters that were affecting every inch of Jericho's society. The salt renewed what was causing unfruitfulness. The salt that purified the waters then brought freedom to every single person who drank from it. The salt is the thing that purified and it was thrown into the spring and spread throughout the city. As believers, we've got to champion purity. That means we champion purity of our thoughts, of our words, of our actions, and our lifestyles. Why? Because when salt loses its saltiness, it becomes foolish and useless in its intended effect. And so a big question to ask yourself is, have I become tasteless? Has my taste been so weakened in this world that I'm not being used in my full purpose? Or are you pouring salt into every sphere of influence that surrounds you? Because let me just tell you about what happens when salt gets involved. Now, you can say what you want about these people, but we can all agree that they're pretty salty, okay? See, back in the 1500s, the city of Geneva was corrupt and very unstable. And so from the 16th century, they started to adopt the guidelines and practices and the teachings of John Calvin. A Christian revivalist. He helped the city to understand and operate from alignment with God's word. In fact, godly principles and decrees were infused into every single aspect of Geneva's society. And now Geneva is one of, if not the most successful city in all of Europe. Almost every Fortune 500 company in the U.S. is either headquartered or represented in Geneva. With 50% of the world's private wealth managed there. Salt got poured into that city. And because of that, principles and guidelines were purified. And they've seen success to this day. You know, there's this other guy. I'm sure many of you have heard of, he grew up in the Christian home, but decided that when his mom died of cancer, he wasn't about that type of God, and he walked away as an atheist, and he went on this journey as a very determined atheist to prove that God wasn't real, but in all of his research and his journey, he actually found that all evidence pointed towards God, a God who exists, a God who is faithful and who loves him. In fact, he calls himself the most dejected and reluctant convert in all of England. His name is C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis, some would say, would be the greatest defender of the Christian faith of the 20th century. See, once C.S. Lewis found ample reasoning for the God that exists, for the Christian God, he didn't go on with life as usual. You know what he did? He took that salt of a transformed life and he poured that into pages and pages and pages of books that we still read today around the world. Or what about Kanye? What about Kanye? See, say what you want about who he used to be. But what I now see is a born-again Christian who has been transformed from the inside out. And the difference in him is like night and day. Someone recently asked him on a talk show, so are you a Christian artist now? He goes, now I'm a Christian everything. See, what happens when you allow God to fully transform you from the inside out is it now affects every single area of your life. And it compels us to bring healing to others, to bring thirst to others, thirst for the right kind of thing. And championing purity from the contamination of this world. Now, for those that have been hidden under a rock for the past few weeks, Kanye West recently released an album called Jesus is King and Is Salty. (laughs) Truth of the gospel message is poured into every lyric on that album. He proclaims the message of the gospel in a way where he's not holding back. He is now unashamed to be a born-again Christian. And so you know what he did? He poured salt into the music industry. And because of his unashamed faith at his last Sunday service concert, a pastor did an altar call at the end. 1000 people responded to the altar call at Kanye West concert and gave their life to Jesus. That's what happens when salt gets involved. That's what happens when a believer says, I don't want to be contaminated by the thoughts of this world, by the cultures of this world, by what worldly cultures are saying to me, but I actually want to be set apart for use by God. I want to purify the waters. I want to heal the waters. I want to inspire thirst in other people. See, some might even call this recent transformation in Kanye West as a modern-day Saul to Paul conversion. A born-again Christian is someone who can be poured into a city, Poured into an industry, poured into a company or a classroom, and heal the waters. Salt brings healing. But let's be real, when you gargle with salt water, it first starts as an irritation, right? See, Christians can, can first start to rub against the grain of the culture of this world. So sometimes people don't always like it because it's rubbing against, but that irritation actually leads to healing. Salty believers, they're going to help other people find freedom and produce real, true fruit in their lives. Born-again Christians will inspire the search for truth. We are called to be the salt of the earth. And I believe God has positioned this new bowl right here in Papakura, surrounded by Caraca, Takanini, Clevedon, Drury, all the other areas he's placed us here. And this world needs us. This community needs this new bowl. This community needs all of you to rise up and be poured into this city. You were placed there for a reason. You might not know why you got that particular job, and it might be tough for you because you're rubbing up against culture that's not about you. But let me tell you, you might be the irritation that's going to purify that company. You might be the irritation that's going to purify that school system. You might be the one coming in to be poured into that city. And so today, you know, we do celebrate and we acknowledge all of our diversity. I think it's so beautiful when we can come together in all of our cultural dress and and we can celebrate all the different ways that we can say hello, the ways that we communicate. But can I tell you something? See, more than being an American, I'm a born-again Christian. I have an American passport. And America is the country I was raised in. It's the country I was educated in. It's the country that shaped this accent of mine. It's my country. But get this. This is important for you to realize as a born-again Christian. I don't submit to the American culture. What I submit to is kingdom culture. More than anything, I submit to what God says, I submit to God's plan for my life, not America's plan for my life. And I had to wrestle with that, giving up the American dream so I could step out here and step into my promise and my purpose. Can I tell you, all of us are needed. Kiwis, you're needed. Malaysians, you're needed. Indians, you're needed. Fijians, you're needed. New Zealanders, everybody, you are needed. But more than we submit to the cultures that we were born into, We submit to kingdom culture. We submit to what God says. You know, fun fact as I close. Did you know that it only takes 9 to 11% of a group of people to hold firm to a particular belief to tip the rest of the group? Just 9 to 11%. They call it the tipping point. And so, the population of the Papakota Local Board, when they did the census in 2013, yes, this has changed since then, but in 2013, it was 45,636 people that lived in the Papakota Local Board area. Let's round that up to 50,000 now. It's going to keep growing as more houses are being built out here, but guess what that means? If we round it up to 50,000, that means 5,000 born again Christians born-again believers who hold firm to their beliefs, who hold firm to the truth, could tip this community. 5,000 of us. We're eight months in. We're just getting started. And I know that as we pour into this community, 5,000 people could gather together. And as we grow, that number is going to grow. But that's all we need to tip the community. That's all we need to say, hey, This community is actually known to be a Christian community. This community is known for its saltiness. The salt has purified the waters. The salt has purified the bad reputation. The salt has purified what the rest of Auckland thinks of Papakura. The salt is here. And we are being poured into this city. And so as I come to a close, I want to pray two particular prayers. But the first prayer I want to pray for is for people that feel like Maybe you don't know if you've lost some of your taste, if you've lost some of your flavor, if you feel a little bit influenced and overly influenced by what the world says about you versus what God says about you. This is for people who actually wanna be acknowledged as somebody who is set apart to be the salt of the earth. I wanna pray for those people because we need courage and we need strength and we need boldness. And so if you want a little bit more saltiness in your life, would you just stand to your feet right now?